Hey folks, welcome back to the Wrench Turners Podcast, the show that's about improving the life, well-being, and productivity of mechanics everywhere. I'm your host, Mr. Joshua Taylor, founder and CEO of the Wrench Turners Online, a community business focused on mechanics. On today's show, Kathleen Long, Chief Revenue Officer at RepairPal. Kathleen received the Woman in Auto Care's Women of Excellence in 2022, and she's been able to share her ideas and her gift of gab in many different venues this past year, including recently teaching a class at AA Picks. Today, the two of us are going to talk about accidentally finding automotive, poor promotion choices, service manager, leadership tips, and more. Let's get into it. So Kathleen, I really appreciate you taking the time this evening. Um, the the really four points that we want to hit on, um, different than my normal interview with a, a mechanic, because uh, you are not a mechanic this evening. Um, That's right. I want to <laughs> I want to know what got you into the automotive industry and and that sort of thing. I want to know what your first year in the automotive industry, however that may be, was kind of like. Your story thus far in the industry. And then um, because you're not a mechanic, but still have perspective on them, what your piece of advice would be to mechanics out there that you believe in your day that you do every day or do once a week or once a month that you would say, this helps me be happy every day, or this makes me happy in doing what I'm doing in this industry every day. So we can maybe help somebody out there in this industry, be happier, more productive in their day. Great. Um, I'm happy to talk to you about all of this. So really excited to be here, first of all. Um, I think this is a great topic and um, just delighted to participate. So uh, to answer your first question, uh, I got into this industry totally by mistake. Uh, I had no intention of joining this industry per se. Uh, I was in financial technology before this. And I found myself looking for a job. Most of the jobs that I was looking at or people I was talking to were connections that I had in the industry that I was a part of. Mm -hmm. So that was great. Um, and then out of the blue, a recruiter contacted me and said, hey, well, have you heard of this repair pal thing? And I said, no. And he said, well, they're looking for, you know, a leader for their, you know, customer success, revenue teams, et cetera. You know, would you consider joining uh, repair pal? And I said, well, I don't know anything about automotive. And he said, well, a lot of people don't, but I think this is a good mix for your skills and abilities. They're looking for someone that, you know, can help connect systems that really knows how to take care of customers, et cetera. I said, all right. Uh, you know, I really like the recruiter. So I was like, well, I'll kind of give that a try. I don't know what this is going to be like, but you don't know until you talk to someone. Right. And then I absolutely fell in love with the company, the people at the company, this idea of you can just leave what you've done in your rear view mirror, so to speak, and try something totally different. I felt like it would challenge my leadership capabilities in a different way. Um, and so here I am. That's amazing. And, and whilst you are yourself unique, the answer itself isn't, this is probably the third time I've heard it's like, I wasn't planning on getting in the industry. It just kind of, it just kind of happened. I, 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 I had an opportunity and all of a sudden I, I fell in love with it. And, and that seems to be a, a, a recurring theme that once you get into it, most love it because of all the opportunities it presents and the people that you meet and, and the things that you can end up doing with it, short, medium and long term. That's awesome. That's awesome. 
So now that you're you've you're now working, you're still with RepairPal many years later. What was that first year like? Yeah, the first year was tough. Uh, I didn't know anything. And what I learned about myself is that I don't like doing things where I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and so not knowing much of anything, not really understanding the industry or the people in it, um, that it was hard. Uh, I used to write down notes during meetings so I could go look up all the acronyms later. <laughs> we have no lots of acronyms. <laughs> we have so many acronyms. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, but, you know, it was also good because I have never um, in my career prior to this been so focused on a single segment. Uh, so in my prior jobs, I was working with all small businesses or all medium sized businesses or whatever. So the opportunity to really dig in understand an industry i've talked now at this point to thousands of shops um you know many people inside the shops have so generously like given me their time um i belong to several women in automotive uh, organizations they've so generously given their time to make sure that you know people are well educated and they understand the real breadth of opportunities this industry is huge um and there's really a place for everyone with every different kind of skill set regardless of if you're a marketing professional, an, an executive, a salesperson, uh, someone who turns wrenches, um, someone who's electronically or mechanically inclined. Uh, every job exists inside of this industry. It's gigantic. Um, and I really think there's room for everyone. And hopefully everyone finds um, a safe and secure home here because uh, we need all of the talent, of course, that we can get. 100%. The, the labor shortage is going to affect everybody and it's going to affect us uh, tremendously because it only requires, as we're seeing right now, a very small, almost infinitesimally small piece of the puzzle to delay deliveries of vehicles, delay deliveries of parts, delay deliveries themselves because there's nobody to drive the vehicles to ship the product. Then you have difficulties with shortages of technicians, of apprentices, of leaders in service. And, and, and in sales for that matter. So it only requires one small piece to make the whole puzzle just not complete. And you're finding that out very quickly. And obviously, yes, there are so many people within not just the dealerships, but the, the holistic approach to automotive industry. You have people who produce parts. They may never touch the car itself, but you have radios being made. You have wheels and, and things being cut from CNC machines or blow molded or whatever the case. There's just hundreds of thousands of different jobs, kinds of jobs, let alone the job positions themselves. So it's an amazing industry to be in. And that's why, you know, I, if I recall the statistic uh, appropriately from in 2022, if you add the two between Canada and the U.S., there's somewhere just shy of a million jobs for just mechanics, mechanical repairs or technicians, however they call themselves. You think there's almost a million people in two countries just repairing vehicles. That's crazy number and that number is dropping so we need those people to get come into our industry and, and help out so really appreciate you coming into our industry and, and helping and, and leading so many that said um your journey thus far with RepairPal, you've said you you've spoken with thousands of shops in in your several years what's that like talking to service managers um, you know service managers really want to do the right thing um owners shop owners service managers people in dealerships you know, even technicians, um, they all want to do the right thing. They all want to be happy. People who work inside of shops, particularly those 
who are technically gifted. I think the thing people wouldn't guess about them that I now know is that they are incredibly sensitive people. Um, they're both very technically driven and very smart and they are very sensitive people and they have very strong opinions. So this all comes together to engender a bunch of very passionate conversations. And so about a whole variety of topics, people are passionate about what they do. They're proud of what they do and what they've been able to accomplish in their lives. Automotive is sometimes a first home for people because they grew up in it or they love it. Grew up inside of a shop, taking over for their parents along those lines. But it's also a second home for many people, you know, like me who initially started out to do something else um, and decided instead to, you know, to work inside of a shop or um, to use their technical or, you know, electronic kind of uh, engineering sorts of brains to do um, very different things and to help people out. A hundred percent. And I think you, you picked on the topic that I think impassions me the most and that's that we're sensitive. No, no matter how dirty, grimy, greasy we get when we're behind the bench or even in front of the bench and at the desk, we get dirty up there too. But no matter how dirty and, and physically uh, capable we can be, we're still sensitive people. We're still human beings. And I think that that's lost a bit and had been lost for a bit for a while. And unfortunately, it's compounded by the rapid expansion of the industry itself. So you have lots of shops opening and opening and opening and you see, you know, you go on LinkedIn, you see, you know, we just broke ground on our new store and, and adding another store and we've expanded the store and, you know, the ad addition of all this additional labor. So now you have more people needing to fill those roles and even more leaders. So there's more people out there needing to lead those people. But we keep finding that they're they're promoting from within, which is awesome, which is great, but you're promoting people who aren't necessarily born leaders. They are more likely heavy producers or high producers or who are really good at figuring out diagnostic information and, and, and diagnosing a vehicle, or they happen to be really good salespeople through the drive-through. Those aren't necessarily leadership skills. So when you, and when, right. so when you get those people who are really good at those jobs, They've never been taught how to manage other people. And then we get into a situation where we have a, di we have a, a difficulty, where we have a leader who doesn't know how to lead people in a shop full of sensitive people with high opinions who are passionate, you get a toxic environment. And I think when you add all of those things into the melting pot, and then you add in things like disagreements on warranty labor times you get disagreements on appropriate pay whether it should it be straight time or whether it should be flat rate those really important questions not being answered with compassion empathy thoughtfulness and respect because leadership doesn't necessarily know how to do it and you've got a group of individuals who are not educated nor taught how to communicate it makes things worse and you've experienced it so to those people that you've now spoken to and you've seen these passionate people who haven't been able to communicate or whatnot, what would you say to them in that you would communicate that's worked for you as a leader to maybe help some of those service managers or ownerships to help communicate with those in the shop? So first of all, I think um, the role, as you were saying, of the service manager or of the people in leadership cannot really be understated. It's so important. Some shops actually think they can do without them. <laughs> you know, that 
the technicians are just going to come in, kind of do what they do. The owner is going to try to play five different roles and that that's going to work out fine because the business is fixing cars. And so I really think about the properly run shop or dealership more like a hospital. And I think the people that work inside of it are more like surgeons, which by the way, is also a very messy profession, except that, you know, they kind of, you, you would freak out if you saw a surgeon covered in gore. So they kind of have to change their clothes pretty often. Right. Um, but I, but I think it's an equally sensitive profession. So I think of people who work at cars as like car doctors. Um, but every well-run hospital needs administrators. They need people that are the connective tissue. They need people that are, you know, in leadership positions who understand enough about the content of what people are doing to generally be helpful and help move things along and communicate to the customer and all of that, but who also understand um, how to people wrangle and how to have productive discussions so that conflict can be put on the table and resolved because ultimately everybody's really working for and wants the same thing. They want to do a really high quality job. They want to fix things right the first time so they don't have comebacks or other problems. Um, they want to live good lives. They want jobs that, you know, work for them and their families and that have some flexibility built in and that understand that they have lives as people outside the shop floor as well. Um, and they need people bringing them together that understand that and that cultivate an atmosphere where healthy debate so we get to the best answer um, is cultivated rather than ignored and so that people feel expressed. And when you have an environment like that, regardless of shop or any other kind of business, um, you have a business that's poised to thrive and where people want to work, which I think starts to get at solving this technician issue, which I think is really kind of approaching a crisis level that you mentioned. Um, you know, we just simply don't have enough technicians in the business now. We have a lot of older technicians who are aging out, um, shop owners who are aging out, um, and we don't have enough younger people feeling like, hey, this is a place for me. This is what I want to do. Um, you know, let me join this profession. So I think that has to start from a leadership perspective. I agree. And and you add in that layers of uh education or lack thereof in both circumstances you add in the aging out of ownership and you don't necessarily have to talk about ownership at a dealership level or even like a, a franchised repair facility you're talking about the mom and pop stores as we call it where young folks who you know 15 16 17 18 with older fathers and mothers who are no longer capable of of fixing cars anymore they need to get off the bench or they need to get out of the office so that they can live their lives as well and you've got young folks who don't necessarily know how to run the business or don't necessarily know how to manage other people and it's it's a challenge how do i retire from this small business my my son or my daughter can't afford to buy the business from me and right now we're in such an economic uh how we say turmoil because i'm not even sure i know exactly what to call it yet because everybody says it's recession it's not a recession it's recession it's not a recession or it might be a depression we don't know the world is fine anyway um there's it's a challenge for those <laughs> those older folks to sell their business if that's a the exit that they're looking for so it's that there's a challenge there and then you have service and like you said, there are owners who believe that they can just run the shop without a service manager, without that glue sticking customers and mechanics together. Um, that's a challenge to those uh, in those positions. 
specifically uh, say let's say for for example service manager you are a leader of people what would you say you have learned or done training for that you think would translate very well for a service manager to learn in order to better lead the team of technicians yeah so i think um you know communication is the key to life um so you know through communication we discover who each other is and to the extent that communication is not just about what comes out of your mouth but also what goes in your ears mm-hmm. um what you listen to and what you retain and then how you process that and how you deliver that back that's incredibly important so creating a space where people can be themselves be fully expressed um you know in terms of what they want to do how they want to you know conduct themselves with their job what's important to them um and then being able to talk to a group of people bring them together help them understand where their commonalities are help them understand where there are differences but allow those differences to surface in a productive way um i think those are the most important things for really any leader in any job to consider um you know especially any professional job where we're not you know literally on a battlefield or something like that we're not at war we have time to slow things down to listen to each other to understand where people are coming from and to attend to each other's happiness. Life is too short for people to work at jobs that they don't like. You spend usually more time at work with your coworkers than you maybe do, you know, with your partner or your children um or family. And so the people that you work with have an extraordinary effect on your happiness. And as a leader, once you realize that, it's really hard to not want to be attentive to people's happiness. But I think a lot of people don't know how and the first thing is by just creating space for people to express themselves and to be authentic that's amazing that that express be able create a space for them to be able to express themselves and be amazing that that's really big um that's i i i'm not sure i can eloquently summarize how big that is because um from some of the conversations i've had over the last couple of months uh with technicians across the globe because i've had a, a few from several different co- countries the the common thread there between communication and feeling safe to be able to communicate whatever being able to feel safe that they can communicate about things that are bad um and and specifically things like I don't feel capable doing this or I do feel really capable doing this because they're fearful about being the person who gets all of this particular job. Cuz one of the things I've done in some of my my coaching is trying to figure out what makes technicians happy, specifically that technician who's talking to me at the point in times, what makes you happy about doing what you do every day? And they're happy to tell me I might take some dragging for me to get it out of them to figure out what it is that makes them happy every day. But once they I've been able to drag it out of them, they're then fearful about saying that that makes them happy every day at work because now they're worried about that, you know, jo- Josh has got another gravy or Josh has got more gravy train or is he still sitting on the gravy train and it's because I get to do the thing that I want because I've told somebody that I want to do X Let's say it's I want to do all the rear differentials that come in the shop. And it's rear differential after rear differential after rear differential. 
I don't want to be mocked, or sorry, more specifically this person, they don't want to be mocked for getting all of this work. Or they're fearful that the rest of the technicians are come after and they try and, you know, jinx it or, or pay, play pranks on it or, or something like that. So even within the team, they're fearful of being happy fundamentally. So that that leadership mentality of creating a space where they feel free to be able to communicate and be themselves at work is a really big deal. Really big deal. Thank you for that. I really appreciate that. And I think, yeah, I think from the other side of that coin is making sure as a mechanic and it, and it kind of sounds like you've done this where you are and making your team feel this way if the if the mechanics feel safe they should feel like they can communicate up lead up and say hey these are the things that i see happening not from a sarcastic or narcissistic or condemning feature like you're you're narking on your baymate or something it's like these are the things that i see going on how can i help this improve because when we t- when we come from when we communicate from a place that isn't self-centered and we communicate from a place that is genuinely team building or uh team productive we also shouldn't be hung from the rafters for it so that's that's kind of where i'm thinking about that well that's awesome. Yeah. I really appreciate that. And honestly, uh, I think we've answered all four questions very quickly and very succinctly here. And I've, that's, I'm astounded here. We're, we're 20 minutes in. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. I appreciate that. So that's up to you. If you have any questions, by all means, I'm, I'm here for you. Um, anything I can do to help, anything I can do to, to advise, anything you want to chat about or banter about, I'm in. But we're done. <laughs> All right, good. Well, I appreciate that. And, you know, it was lovely to, to speak to you today. I, you know, I really hope that, um, you know, shops will take a look at their um, employment practices and their leadership and that, you know, we will continue to highlight um, where people who are doing it right um, and who really are attentive to that so that we can encourage more people to join this profession. It's an extraordinary profession. Um, and like I said, it's a place where so many different kinds of people can be successful in so many different places. And in order to, you know, really attract people to this profession versus others, um, you know, we're going to have to be good at, at making space for those people. It, you know, it's, it's a little like a Maslow's hierarchy mm-hmm. of needs. You know, if you don't meet people's basic needs in their lives, then you can't expect them to have the most productive conversation when they come to you with their complaints because they're still operating you know, down here at the lowest level of my basic needs as a worker are not being met. Once we start meeting the basic needs of workers and they start becoming happier, you know, people around them are like, well, you know, what does Josh do? Like, man, he's happy all the time. And, you know, uh, that really attracts a community of people who are like-minded and who have similar interests and things like that to joining their profession. And I just think that, you know, that kind of happiness and satisfaction radiates outwards and Maybe I'm a little bit Pollyanna, but I think it's conversations like this that start to perpetuate the change that I think we both want to see in the industry. I agree. So I'm stoked to be I part agree. of it. We, we, need to, we need to make the industry a safe place to be again. Because right now it's not necessarily unsafe, but it's not a safe place to be. There are too many folks out there not making the right wage. There are too many folks out there living in environments where they might be making the right wage or be 
be making the financial uh, uh, compensation that they should be, but they're in toxic environments. That's it's not a good place for them to be in. And like you said, life's too short to to be doing a job that you hate. It, it really is. You need to be doing something that you enjoy. You need, and even more so, love if you can if you can get that far ahead. Um, but you need to be doing something at That's least that you enjoy doing every day, so that you don't go in depressed. And like you said, the the happier the shop is, the happier the person is, the likely more productive that they are. And that's it's just a byproduct. If if you're not looking at a problem like the glass is half empty, and you're looking at I have the glass of water, that is a much better mentality I think that we need to to convey because it's not that it's half empty or half full. You have a glass and there's water in it. There's so many folks out there who don't <laughs> even have that luxury. So. We need to to change the mindset. We need to promote uh, from within. We need to we need to uh, encourage the young, uh, big time. Um, I I think I, I I looked at something today and, and I shared it about the regular year over year increase that the U.S. government themselves say uh, occurs year seven percent year over year from 2014 to 2024. The number of jobs in this industry, in mechanic industry specifically. Are going to be needed over uh, up and uh, above what it is now, and there's a reduction in employment somewhere in the neighborhood of 10% year over year, something like that. So the offset is just the delta's huge. Delta's huge. So we need to get cultivate the young. We need to get in before they even get to college. You know, whether it's in the U.S. and Canada, the America, or sorry, uh, U.S., Canada, and U.K. and Australia, we need to get them when they're in high school and get them to understand that it is a safe place to go. You can make a living, you can make a career out of it, and be successful long term, and and support a family doing it. Like the days, That's the right. days of working twelve-hour days and being able to support your family. Yes, you can financially support your family on twelve-hour days, but you're not part of it. You're absolutely not part of it working 12 hour yeah. days. And we want to make sure that that nine to five, whether it's a nine to five or an 11 to seven, or it's a six to two, whatever works for their family works. So again, it comes down to communication. We need to communicate to as many people as we possibly can. And we need to change the industry for better. Awesome. That's right. And it needs to be a place that looks like um, the people we want to attract. So we need more women. We need more people of color. We need everybody to look at it and go, hey, this is something that interests me and it's something that I can do. So the high school shop class shouldn't be all guys. 100%. You know? Um, yeah, I mean, I know mine was. And actually, my dad used to be an auto mechanic. He eventually went to work for uh, Boeing, working on mm -hmm. planes um, and building planes eventually. Um, but his auto mechanic world didn't feel at all like a place where I would even be welcome. You know, he used to drag me in these dingy back rooms to talk shop with his friends and cover my eyes because there's a naked calendar on the wall and drag me to parts stores and stand around for hours while he talked about things I didn't understand. And it didn't seem to me to be, you know, the kind of really exciting, glamorous place that I might want to join eventually, mm -hmm. right? Um, but what I didn't understand is how many really complex problems, something I really love to do is solve hard problems. And I didn't realize how many complex problems the average technician solves in the course of the average day. I mean, that would have been a way more appealing, um, entry for me 
to looking at, you know, this profession in general. And there is a lot of very complex problems and sometimes they're guised in simple solutions. And you have to look at, um, and, and this is one of those things, you don't know what you don't know. And unfortunately, many young women and many people of color, because it's been mostly, for lack of a better term, it's been a white man's game for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here I am, like shining example of that, but I digress. They don't know because they've never experienced it or possibly never experienced it. It's always just been the place that dad or mom took the vehicle. It got fixed and it came home and I got to drive the car again. Understanding what actually happens in the shop. We need to educate these folks. What actually happens, what it's actually like. And I'm so glad that so many have taken to creating videos to show what it's actually like. And there's a lot of content creators out there doing the, you know, how to fix your Audi A4 A 1.8 T, how to, how to do a timing belt, something that's that complicated, but how to do a time. You can probably find that on YouTube right now and you Google it. It's like a seven or eight hour repair that they summarize in 10 or 15 minutes with stop, stop motion pictures. Well, it's really easy to look at and you understand step one, step two, step three, step four in live pictures. And those are sometimes even better diagnostic information than some of the service manuals that we get from the, um, the manufacturers. But understanding that, figuring out that it needs a timing belt or a timing chain, understanding and figuring out why it it just all of a sudden stopped working. And I'll give you an example and I'll try to keep it short. Today, I'm working on a, a 2003 uh, VTX 1300 motorcycle. And I have just spent three days basically restoring this motorcycle and everything was set to do its first start in the first time in four days after I've had all kinds of things apart. It start, it ran, it ran for 15 seconds, something went pop and it shut off immediately, just immediately all power off. Not like it slowly turned and it just shut off. Hit the starter button, nothing. Well, that's weird. Um, because I did no mechanical, no engine mechanical or transmission mechanical repairs of any kind that wasn't touched. I did touch some electrical things, but nothing that should trip a lack of running. So I'm there scratching my head. Now I've been around the block a few times around cars, but I'm still new to power sports and motorcycles. So I'm thinking, okay, let's go back to basics and, and basic diagnosis. Do we have power? Check the battery. Yeah. Yes, we have battery power. Do we have power at the fuse, which is supposed to uh, allow to the ignition switch? Uh, No, we have no power there. Uh, Check the fuse, just because fuse is fine. So at this point, I've got no power anywhere, but I have good good battery. And the leads themselves are fine. And I'm scratching my head, and it's literally staring me at the face. It's literally staring me in the face. It's a rookie mistake. And I make mistakes all the time. I'm not a proponent to be a, an absolute expert, amazing, super awesome sauce mechanic. I make mistakes all the time. And I'm looking at this brand new battery because it's a brand new battery. And the owner of the shop, so he's he and his wife own the shop I work at. He is a technician, has been a technician for 40 plus years. And he comes over and he says, did you check this? Yes. 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 And I go through everything I've checked. It's like, and he's looking at the bike and he's looking at me and he's looking at the bike and he's looking at me. And it's like, do you know the battery terminals are corroded? 
<laughs> and I and I had I had to pause there for a second because I look at it and and they are, but the bike ran. Bike ran for ten or ten or fifteen mm-hmm. seconds. There's absolutely no reason why it ran that long. A let alone start why it ran that long. But the battery terminals are corroded. And he just goes, yeah, they're corroded. You clean them off. It'll start. It'll run. It'll be fine. And I'm scratching my head, and I've never seen anything that is is as little. Like, we're talking, if you could uh, uh, put a powder in your hand, and, and it settled on a piece of metal. That's how much corrosion was on it. But because the gentleman has dramatically more experience than I do, I... I okay, I, I've got nothing to lose here. I'm going to listen. I'm going to respect his answer. I'm not going to go, well, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to do what he says. And lo and behold, five minutes later, after giving a little bit of scratch and a little bit of dielectric grease, the bike starts. So needless to say, we all make mistakes. Needless to say, we need to be listening to those who have far more experience than we do. And the art of respectful communication between leader and mechanic and mechanic to leader is imperative because if he had because if this gentleman had com- communicated to me like i've been communicated to in the past from foremen and service managers i'd probably walk out or walk out the next day or give my notice but instead but instead because he knows very well how to communicate we were able to have a, a conversation figure out what's wrong inside of about eight minutes and be on our way. So that's, that's why I think we need to be teaching as many people as we possibly can, how to communicate and why we need to be teaching, teaching as many people as we possibly can, how to do the basics, because when it comes down to it, you owning a bike or you owning a car could quite possibly have done what I did today with a battery on a car that didn't start simply by looking at the battery and going, Hmm, that doesn't quite look right. I'm going to take care of it myself and save myself several hundred dollars in diagnostic and repair bills. So if we can educate that it's, some of the stuff is that easy to do yourself and then it's fun to do and then you can challenge yourself to do it and it's not a dirty, greasy, grimy job, maybe more people will go, maybe I'll go to the dealership and put my name down. Maybe I'll go to the store down the street. There's a service advisor opening. Maybe they do that, but we have to make them want yeah. to be able to do that. So that's right. Awesome. And that is the end of today's episode with Kathleen Long. Thank you very much for participating. It was amazing to have you on the show. Catch the Wrenchners podcast next Wednesday, where we talk with Marshall Sheldon, an HD technician with over 10 years of experience, currently working with Murphy Hoffman, Comey, MHC Kenworth. We get into mentorship, tough times in the mud, and more. A little bit of paperwork before we sign off. The Wrench Turner survey is open and free for any automotive dealership service managers looking to get intimate shop insight to improve the health, well-being, and productivity of their team on the shop floor in just 12 minutes. Insights such as shop environment, morale, trust, and staff communication. It's not a bad idea. Reach out to me, Mr. Joshua Taylor, on LinkedIn, or email me at joshua at justworkhard.com a big shout out to our sponsor for this episode fixed ops marketing create and distribute as many videos as you want as often as you want for one low price with prestige 
reach out to the folks at fixedoffmarketing.com to schedule your demo today. Lastly, I want to leave you with a quote until next week. A society grows well when old men plant trees whose shade they know they will never sit in. Thank you very much for listening. Hope to hear you back here next week. And remember, always clean your toys before you put them away.